We have been in a series the last few weeks talking about the Holy Spirit and how God's presence in our lives makes a difference. And as we're talking this morning, we're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22. So if you went ahead to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and if you have a paper Bible, be careful because it's one of those books where if you flip too fast, you'll blow right past it and be like, wait, where'd it go? Uh, but Galatians chapter 5, that's where we'll be, because we're, we're going to talk about how do we cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, what does it look like, and how do we live that, live that out. So in Galatians chapter 5, starting with verse 22, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, it's really important, just even as we get started, just to recognize that that word fruit is singular. And no, that is not because Paul's really bad at grammar. Because some, some of you who are grammar nuts are like, wait a second, there's a list there, Paul, it should say fruits, it should be plural. No, it's singular. And that's not because Paul's bad at grammar, that's because Paul's really good at his theology because he uses a singular word because the fruit of the Spirit is a package deal. Uh, they, don't, they don't work like spiritual gifts, right? Like with spiritual gifts, you can say, hey, my, my gift is, uh, you know, serving, my gift is mercy, my gift is, you know, whatever, whatever your spiritual gifts might be. You cannot say, well, my, my fruit of the Spirit is love. I didn't get, you know, patience, so sorry. I'm, I'm just not a patient person because God didn't give me that fruit. That's not how that works. They're all a package deal. They all come together. You don't get to, you know, chop some of them off the vine. You, they, all, they all come together. And because they're a package deal, that also means that the fruit of the Spirit, they rise and they fall together. What I mean by that is, you know, if you were to sort of try to assess your own spiritual life and go through these nine markers that Paul gives us and say, well, how, how am I doing on each of these? And if, you know, for example, you were to go through there and say, you know, I'm really struggling with joy, right? Probably your first thought is, well, I need to do things to make myself more joyful. And, you know, and that might not be a bad approach, but sometimes the problem actually isn't your joy. Your problem might be peace. You're having a hard time with your joy because you're anxious all the time. You're worried all the time. You've got no peace. You don't trust God. Or you might think, man, I'm having a really hard time with, with love. And the reality is it's actually because you're having a really hard time with patience. So the fruit of the Spirit work together, and sometimes one of them is holding the others back. They all kind of work together. And if you think about people who express these, that kind of makes sense, right? Because if you think of somebody who's thinking, man, that person just has the joy of the Lord, chances are you probably would also say, well, they're also a really kind person, and they're also patient, and they're also pretty self-controlled, and they're also very loving. You know, you probably just kind of start working your way through the whole list, and you go, huh, they, they do kind of have all of them, don't they? So they are a package deal. They're all connected. And, of course, the ultimate example of the fruit of the Spirit is Jesus. Jesus shows us what the high standard is, what the full mark is on how do we live out all of these. We just look at, well, well what did he do? You know, because, for example, even you just start with the first one on the list with love, our idea of love just falls miserably short, doesn't it, when you compare it to Jesus? 
because all of us, you know, we'll love people when they love us back, or we'll love certain people because that's, they're kind to us, it's easy to love them, or they're in our family where that's what we're supposed to do. But Jesus, he loved us so much that he died for us, and he even died for all the, the good and the dumb things that you've done. And he even died for you, even if you don't believe in him. Like, he died for the people who wanted to kill him. So his love has this sort of this limitlessness that a lot of us would put on. We would put boundaries around that. You know, most of us would think love is these, you know, it's these mushy, gooey feelings, and you should feel warm and fuzzy inside or something. Or we think about joy, but we confuse joy with happiness a lot. We think a happy person must be a joyful person. And that's not always true, because happiness depends on your circumstances, but joy always depends on what God has done for you. You can have joy even when life seems to be falling apart. And so just a few of these words that Paul gives us, I just want to clarify a little bit, because I think we can, we can have some uh, pretty weak definitions, some pretty flimsy ideas of what some of these words mean. So just a few of them. Uh, that word forbearance, now maybe that threw you off because you're used to, you memorize it as patience. It's patience, it's forbearance. But um, a really fun way to think about what that word means is not easily offended. If you are patient, you are not easily offended. And, you know, we live in a world today where it's almost like, it's like a virtue to be offended, right? Like, we should all be offended about something all the time. And when you get offended, you should act a certain way. You should get really loud and angry, and you should take action, you should call people names. But, but Paul says, no, a sign of the work of the Spirit in your life is, it's going to be really hard to get you offended. Uh, there's a proverb, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Because not every offense deserves action. You don't, everything doesn't need to be brought up and talked about and dealt with. When Jenna and I were in premarital counseling, our marriage mentors, that's, they used this proverb and they said, hey, sometimes in your marriage, you just have to remind yourself that the other person loves you they would never do anything to intentionally hurt you or harm you, and sometimes you just need to let it go. They might have just said something and just, it's okay, just let it go. And that's beneficial because sometimes we don't need to get offended. We just need to be loving and kind and patient and let it go. And then there's the word gentleness, which uh, sometimes we, kinda, we hear that and we think somebody is, they're kind of weak, they're wimpy, maybe a gentle person is like a doormat. That's not at all what gentleness means. Gentleness actually means strength under control. A gentle person is actually a very strong person, and they use their strength in the right direction for the right reasons. So if you're gentle, it means you don't, you don't force others around, you don't push people around, you don't make people do things to get your way, you don't use your force to get what you want, Instead, you make a powerful impact by harnessing your strength to love and serve others. So it's not about your way and seeking personal victories. It's about serving others. And you use that strength well and strategically. And then there's this word faithfulness, which means a whole lot more than being authentic or honest or persevering or, um, or as the kids say these days, no cap. I'm getting to the age now where I can't I have to say, the kids say that now. I'm like, why did I have to turn 30? Gosh darn it. But faithfulness means you do the right thing even when the results aren't there. 
Because a lot of times when the results aren't there, what do we do? We get tempted to cheat a little bit. We get tempted to break the rules. We get tempted to maybe do some things that, well, you know, if no one finds out, maybe it'll be okay. That's kind of what we do. Uh, There was a missionary named William Carey, and after ministering for eight years in India, he had hardly anything to show for it. Like, hardly any converts, not a lot of progress, and he just wrote a letter to his friend saying, pray for us that we may be faithful to the end. Now, William Carey went on to serve in India for about 41 years, and he converted around 700 people, which on one hand, that sounds awesome. But on the other hand, you'd go, 41 years in a country with not a lot of Christians, and you only converted 700 people? There are a lot of people who thought William Carey was a terrible missionary. Like, he, he's not doing a good job, he's not being effective, we need to bring him back. But William Carey cared about faithfulness. And because of his faithfulness, he actually has made it so much easier for every other missionary to India. Like, anybody else who goes to serve in India now has to thank William Carey. Because he laid all the groundwork and did a lot of hard work, for future success. And a lot of times, our desire to have numerical success undermines our ability to just be faithful, to just do the right thing over and over and over again, even if it, it doesn't immediately produce a harvest. And just, I mean, just think of the people in your life who exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. I bet as you read some of these, these words, somebody comes your mind. You think of somebody who's like, yeah, that person, that really, they really are exa- a good example of that. I mean, I was just thinking of a couple people, and I think about, um, I thought about Michael. You, you know Michael. I'm sure you've all seen Michael. He walks around town. He's the guy walking around town, always listening to music, always dancing as he goes, and Michael just exudes the joy of the Lord, right? But then you get to know Michael a little more, and you find out that He's always listening to worship music when he's walking, and he's always, you know, he's always dancing, or he's on the phone with somebody talking about their life and talking about Jesus. And he'll sit downtown somewhere, and just his conversations with somebody else on the phone encourages the people who are eavesdropping on his conversation. Like, other people go, wow, I needed to hear that, and Michael wasn't even talking to them, right? Michael works at Creekside not to get paid, but to get food vouchers so that he can give those to people in need. So, you know, you might think, well, Michael's got the joy of the Lord. But then you get to know him and you realize, well, he also loves people really well. He's really kind. He's really patient. You start to realize, huh, that's, they're kind of all there. Package deal. Yeah, I was, I was thinking through this and, you know, uh, for example, I'm, I'm going to embarrass Andy Haley. I think of Andy Haley. who Gentle. I mean, my goodness. He's just a gentle guy, uh, and, you know, incredibly smart with his, with his practice. But he's one of the best eye doctors around. Not just because he's a good eye doctor, but because he cares so much for every single patient that comes and sits in his chair, right? And so he's absolutely gentle. Not because he's a pushover, but Andy is a strong guy who knows how to use his strength for the right things at the right times. And I'm sure you could think of others, and I could talk about even more of you, and we could go on and on, because the fruit of the Spirit, you notice it. When you see it, you're like, what? That's, that's different. That's cool. And you may notice one or two that pops out in people, but you soon realize it's a package deal. It's all, it's all kind of there. And I love how Paul, he, Paul uses this phrase, against such things there is no law. Like, nobody's out there trying to outlaw these things. 
You know, no one's out there saying, you know what? We just got to make kindness illegal. That's just going to ruin if people are kind. We just can't have that. You know, people are not legislating gentleness. Because these are the things people want more of. People want more of this, not less of this. And so Paul says, there's no law about this. You're not going to get arrested for having self-control. You're not going to be, you know, persecuted because you're a good person or a kind person. But here becomes the problem, right? Here becomes the problem with these. Is you can't do them on your own. You can't. I mean, you can try. You can try really, really, really hard. But it's probably going to make you pretty anxious. It's probably going to really worry you. Uh, you're probably going to feel like, man, I just can't, I just can't do it. I don't, know, I don't know what i got to do. But that's why Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit. He does not call it the fruit of you. He doesn't say, man, if you just work really hard, this is what you'll be. Right. No, because we know we have limits on all of these, right? We have limits to our patience. We'll be patient as long as things are under control and things are easy. But if you're the wrong person, if you're, if you're the 50th person to complain today, whew, you're going to get it. I was patient 49 times, number 50. Nope, can't do it, right? We have limits to all of these. And the sin that's in us creates this selfish setting that we kind of default back to. And so we sort of have to work on trusting the Holy Spirit to transform us, to kind of get that sinful setting to not be what we default back to. I mean, just think about this. When you wake up in the morning, what do you think about? You think about you. You get up and think, oh, I've got to go to the bathroom. What am I going to have for breakfast? What am I going to wear today? When you go to use the restroom and your sibling is still in the restroom, you're mad because, they, hey, their time's up. You've got to get in there and get ready. You're, you're upset. But if you're the one in the restroom taking too long, it's fine. Like, this is my turn. Leave me alone. You know, go bug somebody else, whatever, you know. We, we tend to just kind of think about ourselves. But the good news is that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins and also to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit so that the fruit of the Spirit could actually be possible so that we could actually be transformed and renewed to live this kind of a life. Because the Spirit is going to produce these things in you. It's proof the Holy Spirit is at work when this is what your life is described like. And so Paul reveals kind of the difficulty of doing this in the very next verse, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Yeah, that sounds real fun. Anybody want to volunteer to do that? Probably not. And that's why this is so hard, because, I mean, Jesus Christ is the only person with the fruit of the Spirit in such a level that he was willing to go be crucified quite literally for us. And Paul's not saying this literally, he's saying this metaphorically, but sometimes it, it can feel a little more literal, right? Because that idea of crucifying the flesh means we have to, like, kill off and get rid of our selfish passions and desires. We have to, like, go to war against it. That's painful, because it's easy to love someone who loves you back. It's easy to be kind to someone who's done a, a kind thing back to you, right? It's easy to have self-control when you're not really tempted by anything. But to love your enemies, that hurts. To be peaceful when your world seems to be falling apart, that seems unnatural, and, you know, to try to resist temptation when you really want to do something, everything in you wants to convince you, no, it's fine, no one's going to know, it's okay, you deserve this, you know, it's not going to hurt anybody. 
and it's quite difficult to live out the fruit of the Spirit. And so that's why Paul says, well, you've got to crucify the flesh. You cannot keep going back to it. You cannot keep returning to it. You have got to change and live a different kind of life. And this, this is a lifelong process that we just have to keep working at. It takes time. It takes a lot of patience. And the spiritual disciplines are the tools that we use to partner with God to crucify the flesh. You know, so for example, you know, fasting is one of those spiritual disciplines that we don't talk about a lot, we don't practice a lot, but my goodness, if you fast, whew, you'll find out real quick how much you depend on things. And I'm not just talking about food. You fast from social media, you fast from TV, you fast from a certain habit or practice, and you quickly realize, oh my goodness, I did not realize that was in me. But you'll find it. So Paul talks a little bit more about how we do this in verse 25. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Because we can't live by our own standards or the world's standards. We have to live by the standard of Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, we've got to do what Paul says. We've got to keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, now, when I was a kid growing up in western Kansas, every once in a while we would get a really good snowstorm. I mean, you know, you, you get enough, you can go out and you can build a snowman, you can build forts, you've got to help dad clear the driveway, of course, but that's good because then you've got extra piles of snow to build your forts and, you know, your friends come over and you have a snowball fight. But when I was little and I would go outside with my dad to, you know, play in the snow, I'd play a little game where I would try to put one foot inside of one of his boot prints. And of course, when you're little and the snow's deep, you kind of got to hop, you know, to do that because his steps are a lot bigger than mine, and so I'm kind of hopping and hopping, and I'm not paying attention to where I'm going or what I'm doing. Because, well, if Dad walked here, it's got to be safe. And sooner or later, I wasn't paying attention. I just bumped into the back of my dad, because he had stopped, and I was still, like, trying to get from step to step, you know, playing a little game with myself. And that's what we try to do with being in step with the Spirit. You just one step at a time. Don't worry too much about where the steps are, because if Jesus has walked there, you're good you're good. So one step at a time. So let me just paint a couple of ways that we can do this. You know, the, the book of Hebrews talks about, I kind of use this metaphor to talk about how it's okay at one point to sort of be on the milk of scripture, but then at some point you've got to get to the meat and potatoes of scripture. You've got to get to the steak. And so like, you know, if you've got a little kid, hey, it's cute and adorable to feed them with a bottle, right? It's, oh, it's so adorable. But if a 40-year-old man comes home to mom and says, hey, mom, I'm hungry, and she whips out a bottle of milk, you're going to be like, that's embarrassing. That's weird. Right? If, if a little kid's like, hey, dad, I, I need some help cutting up my hamburger. I can't quite, hey, no problem, no problem, buddy. You know, that's cute. That's adorable. But if, if, you, you know, if you happen to go out to eat and you ask your waiter, hey, can you cut my steak up for me, please? I don't know how to do it. Like, that's, that's a problem. And so one of the ways we keep in step with the Spirit is, you make your faith your own. Because, you know, it's totally appropriate at one point in your spiritual growth to need somebody to, you know, encourage you to read the Bible and to pray with you or pray for you and you just listen or to take you to certain things. Like, we all probably have that moment where you did not want to go to church and mom and dad dragged you out of bed and you, you're going to go to church. You're like, no, I'm not. Well, if you want to eat lunch, you're going to go to church. Or, well, you bet, you know, we're going to church, and I don't care if you're in your pajamas. Come on, kid, we're going, you know. 
Or maybe, you know, maybe there, you didn't want to go to camp or, you, did, you know, you didn't want to go to something or you didn't want to do something and your parents said, look, it'll be really good for you. Please just trust me. Just go. And you're like, I'm glad they made me go. And so there's a point where you've got to move from deferring to others to be the ones who pray out loud to you pray out loud. Right? If the only time you pray is when you're here at church because somebody else is praying, that's not, that's not a good thing. If the only time you open up your Bible is on Sunday when I preach a sermon, it's not a good thing. Because at some point, you've got to move from a bottle of milk and of spirituality to the steak and potatoes. And you get out your Bible. And sometimes you may not know what to do, and, that, and hey, guess what? That's why you have pastors. Because we went to school for this stuff. We love talking about this stuff. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. If, if you were to come talk to me and say, hey, Justin, I'm stuck on this verse. I don't know what it means. I'd, I'd, and can, you talk, can we talk about it? I'm like, yes, that would be awesome. Let's meet for coffee, let's meet for lunch, come by the office. I would love to talk to you about that. You know, I love those kinds of questions. They're fun. Or if you're like, hey, I'm just, I'm really struggling with this in my life. I don't, I don't know what exactly to do. I would love to help talk with you about what are some ways that might be helpful. How might, how might you be able to partner with the Holy Spirit to work on that? I love that kind of stuff. So, hey, ask us when you get stuck. It's really, really okay. And so keeping in step with the Spirit, it's going to take more than attending worship once a week. It's going to take engaging with the Spirit throughout your life. And so let me give you another way that this works, and that kind of builds on making your faith your own. And that is use your habits and your hobbies for the glory of God. And here's what I mean by that. You might, for example, really enjoy riding your bike. And it's so much fun. And it's great. And I don't know how long. Some of you... You go out for a 20, 30-minute bike ride. Some of you are like Caleb, and you're out for hours, right? I don't know how long you ride your bike. But have you ever thought about praying while you ride your bike? Because some of you are like, man, I can pray for like two minutes. But if you prayed while you were on your bike, you could pray for 30 minutes. Like, you really could. Because your idea of prayer is, I need to sit in a chair, I close my eyes, I bow my head, and this is what I do. But, no, you, you can pray with your eyes open while you're riding a bike, and you can talk to God, and you can talk to God about the things you're thinking about and the things you notice as you ride that bike. You can do that, or you can listen to an audio Bible, or you can listen to a podcast about a Christian topic or, or anything like that. I mean, some of, you, some of you love, maybe you love to fish. Well, how can you turn fishing into a habit for the glory of God? Maybe, again, maybe it's while you're waiting for a bite, you're listening to an audio book, or you've got your Bible open and you're reading some scripture. Or you take that time to pray over things. Or maybe it's you invite somebody to go fishing with you, and you know, while you're kind of out there waiting around, you, you, you talk quietly enough that you can understand, but not too loud to scare the fish away. But who knows? Maybe the fish want to listen in. I don't know. But you just, maybe you take somebody along, and that's a time for you to mentor somebody or pour into somebody or talk about life or, hey, what's God teaching you? What's going on? Maybe you can do that. So whatever hobby it is, turn that into something for the glory of God. And you, you might discover you're actually a little better at this stuff than you thought. And here's why this is practically really, really important. Uh, the very last verse that Paul has in this section, verse 26, Paul says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This seems like just Paul kind of had a final thought and he just threw this on at the end. But that's not how Paul writes. This is actually very intentional. If Paul wrote this, that means the Galatian church was, in fact, conceited, provoking, and envying each other. And if you were to back up a few verses, we mentioned this last week, 
Paul talks about the acts of the flesh, and he lists some things that nobody wants to be described by. And if you, and if you pay attention, you notice there's some pretty chaotic characteristics in that list. He talks about hatred and discord and jealousy and fits of rage and selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy. And that does not, that does not sound like a fun place to be, right? Who wants to be in a place full of factions and envy and dissension and fights and fits of rage? Nobody wants to be there. And what's interesting is Paul ends with this because the practical reality is if we keep in step with the Holy Spirit, um, we're not going to tear each other apart. We're not going to eat each other alive. Because when you act out of the fruit of the Spirit, you're the kind of person other people want to be around. And it's a lot easier to get along when you're described as loving and peaceful and joyful and kind and patient and self-controlled And so when we live in step with the Spirit, we become the kind of people and the kind of place that others want to be a part of. And we become the kind of place where where people want to be. I mean, just just imagine, what if our church was like that? Where people came in and they, they said, man, this is a church that we can just tell. There is love here, there is peace here, there is joy here, there is patience here. The fruit of the Spirit is just here. That would be a very attractive place. What if we were like that in such a way that even people who don't believe in Jesus, like, man, I would just love to go there on a Sunday because those are just some great people, and it's just a fun place to be around. And perhaps that's a little bit of what Jesus had in mind for us to be attractional to the world around us. And it's not because we just, you know, work really, 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 really hard and try to be perfectionists. It's because we let them see Jesus in us. And, you know, so maybe that begins to sound like, well, that sounds really, really hard to try to be, like, perfect and always be this way. But here's the irony of the gospel. When you follow Jesus and you have the fruit of the Spirit and you allow the Spirit to do his work in you, you actually step into freedom in Christ. And what begins to actually happen is you, you don't have to pretend. Like, you don't have to put on your church mask on Sunday. Some of you know, know what I'm talking about. Some of you, maybe, maybe you did that this morning. The second you hit those front doors, someone said, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed to be here. Such a good day. But unbeknownst to us, just before you got out of your car, you and your wife had a huge fight. Or we didn't realize it, but you got up 10 minutes late, and you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to make it, and you're throwing things together, and you're so stressed, and you're frantic, and you're anxious, and you don't want to be late, and you don't want to be that person. And you say, oh, I'm great. You know, if there are two of me, I, you know, I'd be even more blessed. It's the only way. There'd have to be more of me, you know? I have to give Mr. Rogers credit for that one. But when we truly embrace the freedom of Christ and step into Jesus, you actually don't have to pretend. You actually get to take the mask off. Because it's not about you being perfect. It's not about you being really frazzled and worried. Am I being loving enough? Maybe, oh my goodness, I don't know. I don't, I, I, maybe I need to work harder. Maybe I need some, I need some self-help books. I, need some, I, I, I don't know what to do. Because the Holy Spirit's going to do this in you. He's going to do this in you because that's who Jesus is and he's going to work through you. You know, because Jesus demonstrated these, this fruit of the Spirit in such a powerful way. I mean, we just keep looking back to the cross, but I mean, the fact that he died for us, well, that obviously shows us a lot of love and a lot of forgiveness, but it also shows a lot of patience. I mean, Jesus even on the cross said, hey, God, forgive the people who nailed me to this tree 
and forgive the people who, who called for me to be crucified. Talk about not being easily offended. That's what Jesus did. And we all have limits. There are people we don't want to love. There are people we don't want to forgive. There are people we just, they just, uh, they, they just, they just grate against you and they just wear you out. And there are situations where life is going to drain the joy and peace right out of you. And there are going to be temptations that overcome your self-control. And if you pretend and put on a mask and just try to work really hard to be these things, you're going to be absolutely miserable. Like, you're going to feel like a hypocrite. You're going to, you're going to feel inauthentic. So don't pretend. Just step into life with the Holy Spirit and let him do his work in you. Partner with him so that he begins to change you. It, it may take time. Probably going to take a really long time. But slowly, he's going to change you. And you'll begin to notice these things just start to kind of come out from you. It just you, you begin to notice your default setting. Hopefully one day you realize your default setting isn't. You just get so angry and you just lose your cool at somebody. But instead, you just say, that's okay. You go, what just happened? Or when that 50th person of the day comes to give you a complaint, you're not, you're not angry. You just find yourself, yeah, let me, let me help you out with that. Let's see what we can do. And you'll realize over time, you're not the same person that you used to be, and you look just a little more like Jesus. So I'm, I guess what I'm saying is let the Holy Spirit invade your life. Let it change you. Let it break down the walls. Don't compartmentalize Jesus from the rest of your life. Let him be a part of all of your moments, not just, not just a moment on Sunday or on Wednesday night, but in everything that you do. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus. I thank you for your example, and I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives, your presence helping to transform us. And I'm so thankful um, that this is not something that we have to do on our own. Because we all know, honestly, we're, we're a little bit inadequate. And we're not always going to live up to that standard. But through you, we're going to get there. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do your work deep within us. Reveal those places in us where we are, where we are uncaring, where we are unkind, where we aren't good, where we are so easily offended, where we are selfish, where we can maybe act, act petty or hateful towards others. And allow us to be a community that takes care of one another and can show your character to the rest of the world. So Spirit, do your work in us. We give you permission. Come in and change us. Make us look more and more like Jesus. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen.